Galatians 5. Uh, we're looking at fruits of the Spirit today. We've been doing a series on the Holy Spirit. Um, and I've been given fruits of the Spirit to preach on. Um, what's useful to do before you preach is decide what part of the passage to read. And somehow I forgot to do that. So um, if we start... Um, uh, about verse 16. Um, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. As we come to a topic like this, it's uh, useful. Uh, this isn't working. Um, if I sort of nod at you, um, if we can go to the next one. Um, it's useful to think first what we mean uh, by the phrase, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, fruit is a big theme in the Bible. Next slide. Um, um, there's 50 slides, it's going to get annoying. Um, we start by seeing in Genesis, uh, God says to Adam and Eve, uh, be fruitful, multiply. And then again, he repeats this command. He says it to Noah after the flood. As Noah comes out of the ark, he says, I'm blessing you, be fruitful, multiply. He says it to Abraham and to Israel, and he says it to the church. Um, here, it, it refers more to the fact that we're to be fruitful in the things we do, not in growing as a people. It's to do with how we act. Um, it's God's work, if you go to the next slide. Uh, John 15 verse 4 says, um, for Brant, cannot bear fruit unless it is uh, abiding in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. That's Jesus speaking. He says, we can't bear fruit. We can't do good works unless we are in God. Uh, Paul repeats this in Galatians. He says, um, for if you don't bear these fruits, it's evidence that you don't belong to God. Um, Send so next slide. Who is the Spirit? Um, he is the Holy Spirit, God. Um, I looked up a definition of uh, God in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which, when I was young, I was supposed to learn, but it's quite quite long, about three hundred questions. Um, Uh, my parents don't remember forcing me to. Um, 
It says, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, eternal, <laughs> eternal and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, and love. There is only one God in three persons, for Father, for Son, and for Holy Spirit. These three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So the Holy Spirit is God. He is eternal, infinite. He is unchangeable because God does not change because he has no, because he is infinitely good, powerful, holy, just, true. He can't change because he's always been that. He can't improve. That's why it says God does not change because he's got nothing to change. For God to change, he would become not God. And the Holy Spirit is God equal in power and glory. I think often we um, under-emphasize the Spirit. Um, some church uh, groups become scared of the Spirit's power and ignore him. Others um, see him as a force that just gives us the exciting bits of Christianity, but he's God's equal in power and glory. This is the same spirit, Paul says, who is present in power at the foundation of the world. And he's the spirit who, Paul says, raised Jesus from the dead. He dwells in you. And you think it's amazing that Jesus came and dwelt on earth as God. But God has come and dwelt in us, each one of us as his church. So as we look at fruits, they're all aspects of God's character. So what does this mean when we come to study them? We're studying God's work in us, his goodness he pours into our lives. So this should be something that excites us and makes us want more of this and want more of him. And it means as we study this, we're actually going to study the character of God. Uh, So first, fruit is love. Um, The Bible says God is love. I think it's the next slide. Um, uh, 1 John 4 verse 10. Um, One of the lies that the devil uses is to try and make us think that God is not love. But John in his letter says, uh, anyone who does not love does not know God. And he says, God is love. So God's, you can't know God without knowing love because it's who God is. God's love is eternal. From eternity past, uh, God dwelt in love and um, intimacy with himself in three persons. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, uh, when God made man, he said to himself, let us make man in our own image. This isn't as um, some religions teach, that God uh, made man because he didn't know love and he had to create something to love. God knew love in himself. He um, dwelt in perfect harmony, in perfect friendship, for Father, for Son, and for Holy Spirit. Um, creation, the Bible teaches, is for outpouring of the glory of uh, God's love. 
God displaying um, in his creation the beauty of relationship with one another um, and receive this in God's love for his son. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Matthew says in his gospel, and so does Peter in one of his letters, that the father spoke from heaven while Jesus was on earth saying, this is my beloved son. Um, God was so... um, proud of Jesus that he broke through heaven to say to people this is my son who I love and Ephesians says that God will give Jesus all honour and power because he loves him for the things he has done and God loves the church he shows this by paying the price for sin Uh, 1 John 4 verse 10 says in this is love not that we have loved God but he has loved us and sent his son to be the price paid for our sin. God so loved his people that he died for them to make him his own. And that is why Jesus went to the cross. God shows his love for his church in making us alive. Ephesians 2 says that um, God made us alive in Christ Jesus when he adopted us as his sons. Uh, Romans 8 says he did this, giving us the full rights that Jesus experienced as the son of God so that we can come to God with confidence because he loves us. God shows his love in his love for the world. Um, God made for the world and says, looking at it, that it is very good. He delights in the world. God loves his creation. And even after the fall, God loves the creation he has made. Um, he He drives Adam and Eve out of the garden, but he clothes them. Um, He cares for them. And um, God loves all people. Ezekiel 33.11 says, The Lord takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And Ezekiel elsewhere says, I long that all would turn. So despite the rebellion in Genesis 3, where uh, people turned against God, God loves all people. Um, we looked earlier and I'd written this down. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And John also says, He, Jesus, is for propitiation, that's for price, for our sins, and not only for ours but for the sins of the whole world. Because God longs that the whole world would turn and see him. So how do we apply this to us? We serve the God of love. So we're to be, so we're to love God first, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, Deuteronomy 11 says, love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. We're to love God because first he commands it. But we're also to love God because he is the thing most worth loving. If God created for worlds um, to display his glory and um, all he is, then there's nothing in the world as worth loving as God. Um, we're then commanded to love those close to us. Um, husbands are commanded to love their wives. Wives are commanded to 
obey their husbands and love them. Fathers are told, treat your children well. And children are told time and time again through the Bible, honour your parents. Learn the catechism. Yeah. Um, Jesus ridiculed the Pharisees for saying they had this rule they called Korban, which he said it was a um, Bible law at the time. Well, it wasn't a law from the Bible, it was the law the Pharisees made up saying uh, the Bible taught that um, children should honour their parents, but if you gave that time and that honour to the church, you could ignore your parents. So um, people would um, ignore their parents and say, I'm giving this money to the church. And Jesus says that's wrong. If you do that, you've broken the law. Um, and uh, Jesus uh, has um, said that these things, you must honour those God has given you, um, and you must love those close. Um, and then we must love the church. Um, this is also because this is commanded. Um, it's funny, looking, I, I did a um, search um, for how many times the, phrase, the word love was used in the Bible, expecting <coughs> it to say, love God, love God, love God. Actually, the phrase, love God, love the Lord, is used very sparingly through the Bible. The phrase that is used over and again is, love the church, love one another. And that may be twofold, I think, one, it's because this is God's bride, the church, whom he loves and who he wants us to love. I think it may also be because it's a lot harder to love the church than to love God. Um, but it's commanded. We're commanded to love one another, to bear one another's burdens. And this is to show God's love. One John again says um, that if we love one another, we we perfect God's love. That is to say that um, by loving one another in the church, um, we will show God's love to the world. And it's how we show we're not hypocrites. Jesus' problem with those who... Um, Jesus' problem with the Pharisees who said you could ignore your parents and give the money or your uh, time to the church um, was that they were being hypocritical. Um, God has made us first to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with those he has given us and to, be, to love the church. If we say we love God and we don't love his church, then we're acting hypocritically because it's his church, it's his people, they're the people he loves. If we say we love God and we don't love the people around us, we don't love God. That's what John, 1 John says. He says, if you don't love your brother, how can you love God? You can see your brother. You can't see God, so how can you love someone you can't see if you can't even love the people you can see? And we're to love the world um, because God longs for people to be saved and so should we. And we should put ourselves last because there's no place for selfishness.
and there's no place for chasing our own dreams when we love God first and others next. And so we come on to joy, which is the second in the list. Um, God's joy first in God. Um, joy comes from love, and if you love someone, uh, joy is being with them. God's uh, experience is perfect, constant unity. Um, he is always present as the Godhead in the Trinity. Um, so God's joy is the most supreme joy in all of time and all of creation. He lets us share this joy because he has sent his spirit to dwell in us. And so our joy can be through knowing God's presence with us. And this means that the more we grow in love for God, the more we will grow in joy because joy comes from love. God shows his joy in his people in the garden in Eden in Genesis. Um, he spends time with them. He says... The world he has made is very good. Um, and he shows his joy for the church. Jesus tells a parable of how excited God gets when he brings his people back to him. He says, suppose one of you had 90 sheep and you lost one of them. Um, well, suppose one of you had 100 sheep and you lost one of them. You'd have 99 left. Um, that's not bad. Go to market. You've lost 1%. That's better than Steve's note, um, address book. <laughs> um, 1% is not a bad loss. No, God says, I have joy in my church. I love each one of them. And so when one sheep is lost, he goes and he searches. And when he's found that sheep, he brings it back and he says, I'm going to have a massive party to celebrate this 1%. God's love is for his whole people. It's individual. God has joy in the world he made. He made it very good. And so from this, uh, we shouldn't call bad what God has called good. And we should enjoy the world. We should enjoy... Um, music and art. Genesis um, 4 and 5 tell the story of the spreading of the people uh, before the flood. And um, around Genesis 4, uh, it tells the story of Cain's line. And there were two lines of um, people. Um, and there was Cain's line who were, um, Cain had killed his brother and his line was the evil line. And there was Seth's line. Uh, and they were the ones who, um, to some extent, obeyed God. Um, Genesis, talking about Cain's line, says um, that actually some of his descendants were the ones who started art and music. It says um, from, I can't remember names, a person of and Henry. Um, and one started craft and the other started music. And God delights in this because it's showing something of God's glory and God's um, creation. So we shouldn't despise that. 
but it's ultimately to point us to God. And so God's joy is looking forward to the new world, the new creation. God's delighted in the world. He still found joy in the destroyed world, but he's putting it right. And he's bringing his people to be with him. He's waiting in excitement. I could tell you what waiting in excitement is like. I have an app, and a lot of you will think this is silly. Um, those of you who have been married many years will um, have ridiculed me. My parents don't exasperate your sons. Um, um, here it goes. Um, wedding, 111 days. Zero hours, nine minutes, and 35 seconds. A lot of you think that's silly, but, um, well, she's late. Please don't be late. (laughs) I'll give you the app later. It's useful. (laughs) God is um, joyfully, excitedly waiting. for the day when he will come and bring his bride us to dwell in heaven and joy with him. And then we shall know perfect um, relationship with God. We will see him. And as John said, it's hard to love someone you've not seen, but we will see God. And then we shall love him perfectly and know him perfectly. It should excite us. Next comes peace. God loves peace. He lives in perfect peace. Um, God's perfect peace comes from being uh, perfectly in control of everything. (coughs) Though the nations rage, Psalm 2 says, uh, he who is enthroned in heaven laughs. He is so um, serene above all that the world can throw at him. Nothing can get close to God. God loves peace and he is looking for the day, the Bible says, when the lion will lie down with the lamb. And when it says uh, they'll beat their swords into spades and it will be no more war, no more fighting. God longs for peace. He dwells in perfect peace. Jesus is our peace with God. We were enemies of God. Uh, Romans teaches us it may be for the next slide. Um, but God sent his son who died for us so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. And so we're to live lives of peace. Um, first, with the church, we shouldn't love to quarrel, we shouldn't love. Uh, to talk behind people's back. We should build one another up in love. Next, we're to love the world. Um, this isn't, we're to love peace with the world. Um, this isn't an excuse for cowardice. I think we've probably all been there. Um, I have. Um, it wouldn't be peaceful if I spoke now. Um, I'll keep quiet, I'll get another opportunity to speak about the gospel 
it will only start a fight if I say something now. Um, for the Bible does say, um, where possible, live at peace. Um, don't be argumentative with people um, about things that don't matter. Um, the Bible says that um, we're to live as ambassadors for God, which show how good God is. We're not to show um, we don't approve of that, we don't like you. Um, that's not how we're to live with people. We're to be winsome and um, win people to God. And so we get on to patience. God showed his patience by passing over the former sins committed before Jesus died on the cross. Romans teaches uh, Jesus had to die or God was unjust because he forgave um, Abraham for his sins. He forgave uh, Moses for his sins. He forgave Israel for their sins. Um, and Hebrews says um, the prices they paid, the sacrificial system they had with bulls and goats couldn't pay the price for sin. And so God was waiting patiently to pay that price. And so he sent Jesus. And so we're to be patient with one another because don't you know that your brother's sins and those in the church sins who annoy you and who sin against you have been paid for by Jesus on the cross. So who are you to hold the grudge? God has paid for the sin. God shows his patience in dealing gently with his children. Paul says um, in Timothy, he's talking about how he was <coughs> saved by God. And he said, God dealt uh, patiently with me as an example for those who would follow. Uh, Paul had been a murderer who had um, been um, rounding up Christians putting them in jail and um, killing them uh, because he hated God and God's work. And he says, God was patient with me and he saved me. And he says, this is so. It's an example for those who will follow so they know how patient God is with his children, how patient God is with those um, who are to come. And so patience comes from trust in God's good plan for our lives. Um, how do we know patience? Um, how do you wait patiently when um, life is not going as you want? Well, first we see that God has acted patiently towards us. Then we also see that God's um, we're coming to goodness and kindness. Um, we'll see how God treats us good and kind. Um, and he has a plan for our lives. And patience comes from trusting that. God's kindness comes in creation as he um, blesses it and tells it to be fruitful. He places God, uh, man in a beautiful garden. And he places... Uh, Adam together with Eve 
because they're made to be together and to enjoy each other. He visits them in the garden um, in the day. It says that in the afternoon, God would come and walk in the garden to visit Adam and Eve. God is a God who is kind to his creation. He gives them good gifts, and he loves to be with them. And he is kind to them despite their sin as they rebel against him. Um, he clothes Adam and Eve as they leave the garden. And it says he sends for rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is kind to all his creation. And so we're to follow his example. Goodness. Um, what is goodness? Um, goodness I found quite hard to... Um, describe as a word. Um, I don't think it's one we really use, uh, except, oh goodness. Um, it's not just to be good, though that is a part of it. Um, I don't, um, it's to want good for others, it's to um, act towards others in a way which is good, but for their good. So as to act justly for someone else's good. Um, as we come to look at goodness, um, we'd be silly not to look at what Jesus says, which is, no one is good but God alone. So as we look at what goodness is, we see what God is like. Goodness is to act justly when they came to um, try Jesus they tried to find arguments against him and they could find nothing and these were his enemies they couldn't say anything bad against him because through his entire life he'd act in goodness he hadn't done anything wrong and then we're called to faithfulness uh, God is uh, Faithful. The Old Testament says um, God is faithful to the third and fourth generation. And the New Testament says uh, in Paul's letter to Timothy, if we are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. And that is to say that God is faithful in his nature and he cannot deny that he will be faithful to his children. So why should we be faithful? Uh, God promises a reward to his faithful children in Revelation. He says, to those who are faithful, I'll give a crown. Um, Hebrews says, we're to be faithful in meeting together and not give up. We're to be faithful to God and to the church. We're to be faithful servants because that is Christ's example to us but he never gives up on his church. And so we should never give up on serving God and serving his church. How do we do that? With gentleness. Uh, we're to be gentle because uh, God is a gentle God. Hosea says um, that he chose his people and he was gentle towards them despite their sin. And we're to be gentle because... The world is not. Um, 
the world doesn't respect gentleness. Um, the world respects strong people who uh, work their way to the top at the expense of others. But God says, that's not how my kingdom works. That's not how my church is to work. We're to be gentle to one another. Galatians 6, um, right after the passage we read, says, if a brother sins, restore him gently. And then, how do we keep living a life without falling into sin as a church? We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to look after each other in gentleness. finally comes self-control. Um, self-control is in some way the other bookend um, to the fruits of the Spirit. <coughs> if the others come after love and if we um, live in uh, peace through love and if we live in um, the other gifts, the other fruits through love, if we're gentle in love, if we're faithful in love and if we're good to one another in love I've forgotten the amount of nerves if we're kind in love if we're patient to each other in love if we have joy in God because we love him um, how do we do these other things when they're hard we live a life of self-control because we love God Jesus showed this, um, I think it's the next slide. Um, he lived a life of self-control. Luke 4 shows how Jesus was tempted by Satan. Um, and he answers, after 40 days um, fasting and prayer, he answers Satan and says, I will not sin, I will follow God. He shows the perfect self-control. But he goes one up on this. He, um, towards the end of the gospel, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays uh, before he goes to the cross, Father, if it is possible, take this from me. I don't want to do this, but your will be done, not mine. Jesus, at that moment, did not want to go to the cross. He wanted a way out, but he did it because he lived a life of perfect self-control. I've always found it, uh, I don't suppose you're meant to find it easy reading um, the account of Jesus' death and crucifixion. I've found it hard because as I'm reading I'm thinking no that's not right that's not just and I think as you're reading you're meant to feel this weight of Jesus is going to the cross but um, it doesn't quite make sense why is he allowing it to happen um They, say, they taunt him, saying, uh, why don't you call the angels to save you? And the truth is, yeah, he could have done, um, but he didn't. And so we see Jesus at this weak point. And why did he do this? 
It's because Jesus' uh, life of self-control won for him a people for all eternity. Because of Jesus' self-control, because he made himself so low, um, and made himself appear so weak, um, It says in um, Isaiah 52, I shall read it. Behold, my servant will act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished by him and his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind so he shall sprinkle the nations and kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told they see and that which they have not heard they understand who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered, he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken and for the transgression of my people. And they made the grave for him with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This characteristic of God's life is perfect self-control. Led Jesus to the cross, it 
was for love for his people, the love for God that took him there. It was for self-control that let him be humiliated, despised. But because of this, God says, I will raise him up above the many. He shall have this people who he loves, his church, for all eternity. Jesus, by living a life of self-control, one for himself, a people. And so we as his people are called to live the same life. Because by doing so, we get to be <coughs> part of this. We get to be his people with him for all eternity. It's the prize that Jesus was looking forward to that kept him going. And so with love for God and with joy in what is to come, we're to look towards that prize. And what we see is that it's all of grace. The fruits are a gift of grace, evidence that we've been loved by God and that he is dwelling in us. So if you want to live a life full of the fruits of the Spirit, first you need to be a Christian. First you need to know that God died for you, that Jesus went to the cross for you so that you could be part of his people he won. Then he will pour his Spirit into you and he will um, fill you with the fruits he will change you to be like him. He is changing you now to be more like him. Uh, Paul says he has begun a good work in you, which he will complete. God's spirit is in us all as his people. If we want to be like him, we only have to ask. He says, ask and you will receive. What father would not give good gifts to his children? He spoke this about the Spirit. I think that's all I have to say. If you want to, um, if you want to be prayed for that uh, God would pour His Spirit out on you, that He would fill you so that you could live a life of fruitfulness for him, that you could know his love for you and his joy, then I'm sure Steve and um, some others would be quite happy to do that. Um, I don't know if you've got a song. Uh, we're going to sing, then there's tea and coffee, and if you want to be prayed for, um, I encourage you to do that. Why would you not want God's spirit? He offers it as a free gift today. He wants to give you his spirit. He wants to pour himself into your life so that you can know him.